Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-errands pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to OKF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the home bunker. So, folks, 300 documents, classified, special program classified, a sternly worded letter from the National Archives, acting archivist to Donald Trump's attorney about the 15 boxes that were retrieved from Mar-a-Lago after the FBI went in to search the premises for property that belongs to the United States. Come to find out, dear friends, that Donald Trump, the man who doesn't fucking read and couldn't sit down for his own intelligence briefings when he was the godforsaken president of these United States seems to have been going through these 300 documents all by his little lonesome. And the question that I have is, what the fuck do you think everyone, everyone is waiting for in order to indict Donald Trump? Let's piece together a couple of things, shall we? When Jared Kushner left the White House after the disgraced twice impeached president was voted out of office in 2020, he received a very large, very large cash infusion to his business by Mohammed bin Salam, you know, the murderer responsible for killing Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi. This would also be the man that Joe Biden fist bumped when he went to Saudi Arabia in order to, you know, open up oil reserves so that American gas prices could go down. Because, you know, who cares about murderers anyway when we're talking about capitalism and gas? Kushner received $2 billion, not $2 million, not even $200 million. $2 billion from Mohammed bin Salam. 
a known murderer. We know that Donald Trump loves to keep the company of dictators, fascists, authoritarians, and that while he was president of the United States, Donald Trump was given access to things that that criminal motherfucker should have never had access to. We also know that the, one of the reasons, many reasons why Donald Trump didn't release his tax returns and still fighting in the courts to never release his tax returns is one, Donald Trump is not as rich as he claims to be. Two, he doesn't pay taxes. Three, he's in a lot of fucking debt. And not like we need to cancel student loan type of debt, but talking about like into the hundreds of millions of dollars worth of debt. We know that the company that Donald Trump keeps is not the greatest. So what Donald Trump saw in those documents that he couldn't bother have been being briefed on when he was president of the United States is only one thing, dollar signs. Donald Trump is a treasonous traitor to the United States. Contrary to what Republicans are trying to sell the American people about, oh, this was no big deal, is the fact that it is probably one of the biggest deals that we've ever seen, so much so that the normal, quiet National Archives, which, by the way, if you've never gone to Washington, D.C. and visited the National Archives, I highly recommend it. If you are a nerd like myself, which I believe that most of you are, the National Archives, as well as the Library of Congress, well, piece de resistance, you should go and visit. But this place that you oftentimes never hear about unless you're in history class or on a tour in Washington, D.C., had to send a sternly worded letter to Donald Trump's, one of his goon lawyers, saying that, no, we're not going to hold off on sending these boxes, which we had requested over a year ago, to the FBI. We're not going to be in the way and cause ourselves to be an obstacle to an open and ongoing investigation. Now, my question is, like I said at the top, is when the fuck are we going to start to see Donald Trump's list of indictments come down? Because here's what we know to be true. The FBI has now had those documents in their possession for the last two weeks. We know that there are thousands and thousands of pages, 15 boxes, you know, 300 pages of highly classified documents, right, that were just like being held in Mar-a-Lago in a storage shed so that whenever Donald Trump had time in between buffets and tea time, that he could then, what, go down there and maybe scan a couple of documents, maybe send off some, right? This man is a criminal, and we know that Donald Trump doesn't hold on to anything that he doesn't find monetary value in. That includes people. So the reality here is I'm assuming that outside of whiteness and privilege and maleness and wealth and all of these things, that all the reasons why the bar for Donald Trump is so fucking high in order to be able to prove what we all know to be true. And for people who have lived in New York City, who have always known to be true is that the man is a goddamn criminal. 
But the question I think that is really taking time is trying to figure out whether or not America is actually safe. Because you see, Donald Trump had nuclear codes. Donald Trump knows where certain intelligence agents are. All of this kind of information you receive in regular briefings, and I'm certain, are in those boxes that were in Mar-a-Lago. The National Archives knew that Donald Trump had those when he left the White House back in January 2021. They only received some of them back in January 2022, an entire fucking year later. So basically, what I believe to be true is that the Department of Justice is trying to suss out exactly how damaged our national security is because of Donald Trump so that they're going to be able to hold this motherfucker accountable. Now, the question keeps being asked, well, what about political violence? What about the MAGA world and how they will flip out and tear this country apart? Folks, they're already doing that. Republicans are already doing that. So this whole like, oh, it's in the best interest of the country to do what? Let a criminal keep criming, right? Not set the precedent that no one, including the president of the United States, is above the law so that when a Ron DeSantis takes into office, potentially in 2025, that this motherfucker doesn't just use Donald Trump as the blueprint to create his own evil plan. If we do not hold this man to account, then my God, what I've been saying for the last six goddamn years, what comes next is going to be worse than our worst nightmare. So tick tock, Merrick Garland, tick motherfucking talk. Time is of the essence. Coming up next, dear friends, we chat with our in-house doctor, our friend, Dr. Jonathan Metzel, and we're going to be talking about Dr. Fauci's announcement that he will be leaving his post after several decades and several presidents that he has been working under, what kind of legacy he leaves behind, and also what kind of messaging should we have with regard to the double whammy of public health concerns and the climate crisis that we are facing at this time as we make the 76-day countdown to midterm elections. All of that and more coming up next. Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ricci is one of the latest shows on the TYT network and also the fastest growing news show in America. On his show, Dr. Ricci plays no games regarding policy, delivering a heavy dose of fact-based truth and penetrating analysis on all the top news stories focusing on racism, criminal and social justice, politics, police brutality, Karens, and much more. Listeners can also expect interviews with fascinating guests, political leaders, commentators, and even fiery debates with conservatives on a wide range of policy topics in the bullpen. It is an indisputable fact that you will love this show. Listen to Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ricci on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. The 
Damage Report with John Idarola is one of the most popular shows on the TYT network that serves as your daily breakdown of the genuine threats and challenges facing our country and world. These days, we're confronted with an overwhelming sea of shocking, confounding, and devastating news stories. The Damage Report is your life raft, helping you navigate the day's news and understand the damage caused by the corrupt establishment, politicians, corporations, and everything in between. Join the Damage Report's notorious fan club, The Dragon Squad, where you become part of a fantastic community of progressives. Create a fun dragon nickname that fits your personality, collaborate, and participate in fun activities like voting for, the garbage person of the week, and much more. Listen to The Damage Report on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Folks, whenever I have the opportunity to speak with our good, good friend, our in-house doctor, Dr. Jonathan Metzel, I'm always thrilled. And so today, um, Jonathan, let's start off with the fact that, um, well, before we jump into our midterms conversation, Dr. Fauci is going to be uh, leaving the Biden administration, leaving his public position that he has had under, I believe, seven presidents. Uh, folks were showing him throughout the years on, uh, cable news and my God, what a career, uh, Dr. Fauci has had. I just wanted to give you an opportunity to provide thoughts on him. He says he's not retiring, uh, but he is leaving his position to give thoughts on, um, the last couple of years under Fauci. I mean, what a career, right? You know, imagine being, a doctor who basically joins the U.S. version of the National Health Service in your late 20s, which is what he did, <clears throat> and then is at the front of like, I mean, like some of the most contentious, uh, heated, charged, and also important and life-saving initiatives that a, a public health service can face. Um, I think that Dr. Fauci, as many people know, um, was... Um, basically in charge of the government's response to the HIV epidemic and initially was somebody who towed the party line. And I think, um, you know, I think the, the Fauci basically changing his mind about the ways that drugs should be made available to people was one of the more remarkable about faces in American medical history. The idea that basically he said, Hey, look, I'm representing an establishment. We have a process that touts, um, testing the safety of medications by testing them for years, but people are dying right now. And the fact that he, after I think a very initially horrible period, made some kind of alliance with, with ACT UP protesters and, and changed the way <clears throat> that drugs are distributed, just really honestly saved a lot of lives. And it took a kind of flexibility of purpose that I think mm. is incredibly rare in public servants right now. The fact that he basically didn't about face and, and changed the ways drugs are tested and distributed in this country in response to that, not that it was easy, not that he was always right, but the fact that he admitted he was wrong, I, I think really is a pretty remarkable chapter in the history of health and illness in America. Um, I don't know how many people would want to be charge of the, in charge of the COVID response under Trump. I can't imagine that that was a very fun job for somebody who's in their 80s and nearing retirement. Um, but th there as well, I think, um, you know, I mean, obviously there's there's going to be 
a lot of opinions. We're still in the middle of the pandemic. Um, but imagine the hand you're dealt. Like, here's a new pathogen that humanity has no immunity against, and we don't know quite yet what the treatments are, and we don't know quite how lethal this thing is, and we have a president who's not interested in science at all. And so kind of overseeing that, I think, as a kind of bookend to a career is pretty remarkable. Now, if Republicans take over Congress, I don't, I shudder to think about what they're going to do to that legacy. But I would say that we should be lucky enough to have public servants among us who are that dedicated for and that competent for for such a long time. You know, I I just want to ask you, Dr. Fauci, to me, you know, regardless of the ups and downs that we've had over almost three years living with multiple variations of COVID, I think um, exemplified to your point, what it means to be a public servant, what it means to actually want to serve the public, particularly during a time of crisis. And I think that, you know, a majority of Americans, a majority, a strong majority of Americans are very grateful to Dr. Fauci and the work that he did, um, ex- exemplified by the magazine covers that he was on, the the conversations that he had in so many. I mean, I had the good the the pleasure of interviewing him uh, on Woke AF, and I just want to ask you, like, what do you think? You know, if <laughs> if America survives another five ten years, what what do you think that his legacy uh, will be? Well, I, I think I think hopefully it's the things we're talking about now. Again, I mean the the issue, right, is that there's always a danger of somebody hanging on too long. Um, as great as RBG was, she did not do us any favors by hanging on too long after a pancreatic cancer diagnosis that had a forty percent five year survival. With total admiration and respect for her accomplishments and her memory. Um, you know, we're facing a conversation right now about Biden. Um, and so leaving on top, uh, I think, is really important for people who are in positions of, of power and authority. And it feels to me like Fauci is kind of going out on top. I mean, the mm. pandemic is is probably right now, don't hold this against me, but it feels right now like it's more manageable <laughs> than it's been in three years. Um, and and I think there's a, a lot to be said. And I, I, I can see, I, you know, I, I, it doesn't feel like this is somebody who's held on too long. Now, again, I think the main issue is, and I thought everybody, including President Obama, had a lovely tweet about the honor of serving with Dr. Fauci. Um, but again, if there are Republican hearings and he's dragged in front of a subcommittee and talk about, you know, I mean, if I, if I were him, I just wouldn't show up. Right. Like at this point, like I, I, I'm, you know, I just, I just wouldn't come. We, we know what Republicans would be doing. This would not be a thumb in the face to government. It's just like, I'm not going to participate in your circus. So, you know, I like in, in my humble opinion, if I were him, I'd be like, no, I'm, I pieced out. So you all can manage this unless you enforce a subpoena. I mean, I, I think what we're going to see is the the power of the China virus narrative is if, if the Republicans take over the House, it's going to become one of the dominant stories is mandates. Um, people are already, I mean, when you see people turning against Trump toward DeSantis right now, it's because of public health. I don't think people fully realize that. Um, but, I, but I think that when, when you see people saying, well, Trump was the person who did the 
that did the mask mandate or even forced people to stay home for a couple months or schools or things like that. Um, people like even like Joe Rogan on down, people who are turning on Trump toward DeSantis are because DeSantis paid no attention to public health whatsoever um, to the detriment of the lives of the people in his state. Data is pretty clear about that. Um, so I think public health is politicized and, and, and I think, you know, he's not gonna, you know, he's, he's part, part of that in a way. And that's just kind of the, what we're in right now. So I don't know. I know if, if I mean, like I've been so critical of people who don't show up to talk to the January 6th commission. Um, but, but I do think that, again, this is why thinking now about the midterms, it's so important um, that people vote <laughs> right now, because I guess the question is, do you want two years plus of hearings about Hunter Biden and about the China virus and about all this other stuff? Or do you want, you know, hearings about climate change and student debt and inflation and gas prices and stuff like that. So I just think we have a pretty real choice coming up that has to do the links to this topic in, in some pretty important ways. You know, one of the things that I have been asked about, and I'm, I'm certain that you've been asked about recently uh, on television and in the interviews that you do is, you know, is around what do you think are driving people to the polls? And I personally believe that it is like, we're not living in single issued times. Right. Um, and you know, it was Audrey Lord that said, we don't live single issue lives. Right. And I think that one of the machinations of politics that I hate is, is that there is no complexity. There is no layering. It's like, we're going to talk about climate change only when things are on fire or underwater. We're going to talk about abortion only when it's taken away. Right. Like we're not linking these issues together. And so when you talk about public health, right, as a, as, as a public health advocate, as somebody who is a doctor and is in this work, what do you think if you were to create, you know, and contextualize messaging that would have people understand really what public health is and how it is important to their day to day lives as we are making, you know, this this march to midterms, what would that be, Jonathan? Well, I, I can think of three things that are important to know about public health before I get into political messaging. But one, of course, is that public health is not value free. Public health has in the past had policies and outcomes that were incredibly disparate by race and socioeconomic class. Public health has um, instilled treatments from sterilization to, um, uh, you know, um, locking up quote unquote imbeciles and things like that in, in asylums. So public health has always been in many ways embedded in American culture. And so I always think that critiques of public health are very important because public health is not value free. And it's important to take a critical lens of that. As again, I was saying, Dr. Fauci did during HIV and said, wait, man, we're getting this totally wrong. And so it's not like, oh, here's some marble monolith called public health that is unassailable and in, in, in a way is the way like medicine has done, for example. Um, so one is public health is, is, is of the culture. And I think critiques of public health are always going to be important to its function. Uh, the second um, is that public health is often handed problems that nobody knows the answer to yet. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends in the CDC and the WHO and the problems they get are like, hey man, there's a bacterial born food illness, but we have no idea where it's coming from. And then they have to 
<laughs> go test every kind of food and track down what people have eaten and where they shop and stuff like that. So they're having problems that, they, that that are not teleological, right? They're not, they're not, the end is not known from the beginning. And so in a way, it's very easy to critique public health because then you're like, of course, of course you made people wear masks. Of course you held people out of school. But at the time, those answers are not very clear. And so the question is kind of how can we save the most people until we until we get a, an answer for this? And I think that's another important thing. And then the third, of course, is it's not medicine. It's not giving you a treatment. So the main tool that public health has is prevention, right? And, and so you have to ask yourself, are the risks of getting the vaccine worse than the risks of getting the monkeypox or COVID or polio or whatever. Um, and so prevention is so important because it's, it's so much, it's so speculative, right? It's so much like, okay, I think it's worse to get this thing injected. Um, I just got my COVID booster. Um, I feel fine, uh, but I'm going to be teaching this semester and I'm going to be teaching in front of a lot of students. And so I was thinking about it on the way over that you're really, you're really kind of thinking in advance mm-hmm. in, in a way it mm-hmm. takes. A, and so Thinking in advance about it, an imagined threat is different from like, here's some penicillin for your illness right now, right? And so there's a level of kind of speculation in the way public health functions that requires a leap of faith. And I think, again, because it's so political, not everyone has that, and that's very contested terrain. So those were my three off the top of my head points about public health, but I think they're important for people to keep in mind because it's not an exact science. And so what right. you want is you want is trust, really, in the system. And so if you were crafting the messaging then around public health, for instance, being on the ballot for midterms, what would you be saying? Well, it used to be pretty easy, right? It was a progress narrative, right? Right. So other countries were dying of polio. We had two scientists who invented polio vaccines. Um, we had smallpox. We had antibiotics, all these things. So America is a national leader. It's a pride. You know, so that that. That used to be very, very easy in a way. Um, And I think right now, of course, it's much more complicated. Um, I do think there's still a lot of, I think there's a lot of fear about the next pandemic or the next, next infection or the next thing like that. So I would, I guess my, what would work on me, but I, I I don't know if it would work on anybody else is like, we don't want to be caught unprepared um, for the next thing that comes down the pike. Uh, And, and so like kind of fear of the unknown and being prepared for it w- would be my personal strategy, but I'm not a political messaging person, but I would say that I just know so many people who are like, it's not just about the next variant. It's like the next pandemic or something. Let's not get caught behind the eight ball again. I mean, the CDC has already admitted that its response was, was not right. And so I, I think, I think that, you know, let's let's invest in our future would be my message but i don't know you can ask like um rachel or somebody who <laughs> who can tweak but, that into like a you know thing you know one of the one of as you're as you're talking i'm 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 thinking about you know how we've had covid how now monkeypox and the correlation between our climate change crisis that we're living in and public health crises. And I wonder, like, do we talk enough, Jonathan, about the correlation of these things? The fact that because, you know, we're going to have longer, hotter summers, that 
you know, stretch all the way through what was fall into winter, that we have, you know, an increase in mosquitoes, right? And West Nile and these things that we're not making the connection between how the climate crisis and these, you know, waterborne, airborne um, viruses are going to become prevalent. It's not going to be every hundred years, right? It's going to be every two. And, you know, that, I mean, my other tip for our listeners today is stock up on COVID vaccine, uh, COVID tests right now, <laughs> because the government just stopped funding them. Um, and so it's, it's not theoretical. Like we're going to be not prepared if there's a wave in the fall, because we're not making COVID tests in this country right now, um, because we didn't get the funding from Congress because the GOP blocked it. And so if you have a little extra cash, buy five boxes of COVID tests right now, you're, you maybe won't need them, but if you do, you'll be happy you have them in the fall. So we're, it's not like theoretical, like that kind of thing is happening right now. We're not funding. We're basically making the same mistake we did before COVID. Um, and I don't know, part of me wants to say education, right? I mean, the education system is being gutted, like scientific concepts mm-hmm. require a level mm-hmm. of speculative nuanced thinking. And if you're in a class that's being taught by the wife of a of a military veteran um, who has not had any teaching uh, experience whatsoever, except for being able to say the Pledge of Allegiance, which I guess is the criteria, um, then you're then we're just we're going to have an uneducated populace, which I think is a danger for Im- imagining speculative threats like this. Um, and of course, distilling information from disinformation, all the, all those factors. So, I do think there are a lot of factors at play right now. Um, that I, I, I don't know. <laughs> don't get me started on education. No, but, that, but that's but because because for me though that I, and as you were talking, I was just like my I felt my blood boiling. Um, but I'm like because the point is to have an ignorant populace, right? Because ignorant people are easy to control. Like we're you know case in point, uh, every single one of Trump's followers. But you know the I, I think that what is troubling me is that because we have politicized science and then with COVID politicized health, that we're not even teaching it to a way, to your point, that allows people to have nuance. There is no nuance, right? Like the advent of social media, there is no, you know, there's no nuance in, in what people are saying. There's no context that we are that we're understanding. I remember learning about what a hypothesis was, right? An educated guess and why is it an educated guess versus just, you know, something out of the blue. And I feel like the attack on critical thinking, Jonathan, I think is going to be our demise, right? Because if you are just having the wife or the husband of said military, you know, a veteran or, you know, active military person come into a classroom to teach third graders, which to me, I remember as a critical time for like science, uh, in school and, 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 and they're reading along with you and have no, you know, no understanding, no schooling, like honestly, without us going on a tangent, what do you think that that does to our future of being quote unquote leaders in public health and science and innovative innovation spaces? I mean, I don't need to speculate. I, I, it it was even much better, much better than what we have now, but I studied education cuts to Kansas for my book, Dying of Whiteness. And I found that two, just two years of education cuts and lowered teacher standards. I mean, that's what this military thing is. They don't want to 
pay people for teaching. They don't want to pay the credentialing. It's um, it's just lowering the standards. And you know, having somebody who's trained as a teacher is going to be a better teacher than someone who's looking at Truth Social during their break to figure out what you know what a question is. And so, um, I, what I found in Kansas, Kansas had the number six education system in the country. Um, for public schools, the public schools were incredible, and it was it was useful in so many ways, including creating an educated workforce for the state, which led to innovation, technology, productivity, finance, everything like that. Like having a great public school system in Kansas, which took seventy years to build, um, was great for the state in all of these unintended and invisible ways. And then Sam Brownback took over and they viscerated the school system. And within three years, they were in the mid forties for math and science and, and, um, and reading exams for fourth and eighth graders. And the entire productivity of the state really fell off the map because all of a sudden they didn't have people. It wasn't just like people out there spouting off critical race theory. They didn't have people who understood how to develop new technologies for farm equipment. Um, they didn't have people who knew how to do banking, all these kind of things. And so in a way, what it, what it, what it created was a kind of two-tier system where poor people became trade workers. Uh, they went to public yep. school and most yep. people bought themselves out and they were the kind of noble elites who could go get the the knowledge. And, and so in a way, what it did is it just, it just reified all of these social divisions. And again, it was horrible, horrible for the state because the state had an in-house supply of educated workers. It didn't have to import them. And, and it was great for the finances of the state. And so when I see this in Florida, I'm just like, I'm sad on so many levels. Um, but it really is it's really a catastrophe for the future innovation and development and, and finance in, in that state. Oh, Jonathan, we will have I'm on to fire today, man. You are on fire today. This, this, making, this all, making, this, all, making all the bad connections between this everything boost, that's booster, wrong. This booster has gone to my head. I love it. <laughs> no, but see, I, I, I mean, I, I don't think, and you know, I, I'll end here today is that I really do not think that people are paying enough attention to what Ron DeSantis is doing in Florida and how he is corrupting the education system, how he is corrupting the voting system, how he is really setting Florida on a path um, to the bottom, on a you know on a on a race to the bottom, and what that is going to do as one of you know the most populous states you know uh, in this country, what it's going to do to us as a collective. Um, I, I think is going to be, um, you know, everything that you, you just said times 10. All right, Jonathan. Well, we will have to leave it there with your boosted brilliance today. Uh, as always, we appreciate you. I'll get another booster every week so we can (laughs) do this. (laughs) Appreciate you. That is it for me today, dear friends on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. 
from breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. If you're ready for an epic family vacation, there's no better place than sunny Orlando. Exciting thrills, never-ending food festivals, fresh new dining experiences, outdoor adventures, and Florida's natural springs, and so much more. Orlando has it all. And Visit Orlando's vacation planners can help you plan the perfect trip. In Orlando, anything is possible, if you can imagine it. And that's what makes Orlando unbelievably real. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.